ball. Ewing goes up. The basket counts. He gets it over to the doctor. Tie ball game. Here's a shot, Julius. He scores! He scores! He scores! Anthony for three. Bang! That one goes down, and the game is tied. Here is Durant moving on Tucker. He turns. He shoots. Yes! Talking Knicks, Nets, and all things across the association, this is Pick and Pod on WFUV Sports. Welcome back to yet another edition of Pick and Pod, WFUV Sports NBA podcast. I'm Kelly Bright, and it was supposed to be a three-person show, but Nick Feta, who was supposed to be our host today, unfortunately... It looks like he might have the flu, and it's 2021, and we're past the days of the flu game. Shout out, MJ. So, Mike, Mike Calamari, uh, it's you and me today, the two Knicks beat, beat reporters. So, of course, we're going to get, uh, we're probably going to dive deep into those Knicks, but also uh, talk Nets, Suns, Warriors, and maybe even some other teams across the league. But, Two person show. Let's do this. Yeah, no Nick. Uh, we got the news and we, we had to shift. We were making some calls. We were trying to find some people maybe for that third host. But now we're just gonna run with it. You know, two person uh, two person show. So a lot of Nicks to talk about. No, I'm I'm excited. It's been a while since we had a two person show, but uh, you know, there's there's been some great teams in the NBA this year with two superstars leading the charge. So why not why not try it out here in the WFUV studios? So let's let's get right into it then. The Knicks. Uh, Two close losses uh, this week for the Knicks. For some, now we're both Knicks beat reporters, but for some reason you just keep getting to go to the more exciting ones. Uh, uh, the one last night, Knicks versus Chicago, one nineteen, one fifteen loss. Uh, Demar Derozan had thirty four points, six rebounds. Vucevic twenty seven points. Zach Levine twenty seven points. Alex Caruso to me was one of the most electric players. He had a bunch of key defensive plays. Randall led for the Knicks, 30 points, 12 rebounds, 6 assists, but 7 turnovers. Now, before we get more into the game, the starting 5 was... I, we've seen A.B. now start for the past few games in place of Kemba Walker, but now quickly also join that starting 5. Interesting? Yeah, I think it's yeah. interesting. I think a lot of fans wanted quickly in there to start when it was announced that Kemba you know, wouldn't be in that rotation uh, moving forward. No R.J. Barrett, that really opened the door for quickly. He looked pretty good in the starting unit. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what they do moving forward. If they like Burks there, you know, he's a tall point guard, six six. He's not really your stereotypical, you know, ball handler, you know, in a starting five. I think he can do it in the bench unit. He's been really good for this Knicks team. I just think that moving forward, a guy like quickly, I think Rose is really good in that second unit. But even someone like him could be very good for that starting five. And it's really interesting to see where this Knicks team goes because it feels like they play so many close games. And, you know, you said mention how, uh, you know, I've got a lot of the good games this season (laughs) for the Knicks. And I always get the games where they go down early and then they claw their way back. So every game that they play. And and that's what I was going to say. Like, that's what this Knicks team does. If they, they find a way to get in these games and they get close games. But if they can just hammer down the starting five and find a good five to start games and close games... I think they're going to see a lot more wins, especially at home where they've struggled five and seven at home. That just came to the case. You cannot be better at the road than you are in Madison Square Garden. So there's a lot of problems. But like you mentioned, that starting five, you know, quickly Burks, we saw him in there. 
the other night, but there's still a lot of ways they can make it better. Yeah, and we haven't had an episode since we had that announcement about Kemba Walker not only leaving the starting lineup but out of the rotation. And I think it's really interesting to see Tom Thibodeau, who all of last year, we, you know, Knicks fans, the media, we criticized him for being resistant to changes like that. I mean, Alfred Payton didn't leave the lineup for like oh 90% God, of Alfred the Payton, season. I mean, and now here we are, like one fourth of the way through season, and Kemba Walker's out completely, and in his place is a veteran wing, not even a point guard. So I think it is good to see that Thibodeau's willing to bounce things around and try different lineups because that's something that we we've really you know criticized him for in the past. Um, however, I in these two games you still see that there is kind. Of, I think in sometimes, especially with that starting five, we see that lack of cohesion and where they they're still like still they're just not clicking like I know I saw a clip and it was all over social media where Fournier and Randall are kind of yelling at oh, each at other at the end of the, the half I think yes last night. And yeah. yeah last night and it that's not something you want to see out of two guys who really really should be the heart and soul of this yeah, they, offense. they actually talked about that in the postgame press conference and they're talking about it's just like really frustration but like that's not really I know they're down to 20 I think heading into halftime uh but like you don't want to see that out of your starting players especially if you want to build that chemistry moving forward. I just think that, you know, it's tough for Julius Randle to, to adjust. You know, Evan Fournier comes in. He's a guy who needs to take a lot of shots to score, you know, and you need to get him open. So it really has to change the way Randle plays. And uh, there's a lot of things with this, you know, Knicks starting five. I think Tom Thibodeau obviously valuing defense. He doesn't seem to care about the offensive end, but the offense production has been lacking. Julius Randle shooting at a lower three-point percentage this year. R.J. Barrett, when he's been on the court, mm-hmm. he's not been the same offensive player. And you add Fournier to the mix, so it kind of throws people off of their you know usual rhythm that you had last season. So there's a lot of moving parts here, and I think you mentioned it. The cohesion is just not there right now. Yeah, I think it, it's interesting you mentioned Fournier, and him and Walker are very similar in the fact that their their biggest threat offensively is their shot. And if the, if that shot's not hitting, then it's really easy to guard them, and it's really easy for these other teams to be able to scheme against the Knicks. And, and we see it, games where Fournier shoots well, they win, and when he doesn't play well, they lose. They're undefeated in games where he has 18 points or more. Last night's game, he had 16, and they lost. I mean, still one of his probably better games, especially the second half. Uh, he Defensively, even, we saw him, I think he had three steals. And you actually have sound from Evan Fournier on this game that we'll go ahead and play for you guys now. There's more about us, to be honest. Uh, I mean, 12 turnovers in the first half. Like, it doesn't matter who you're playing against, you know. Uh, I think they scored 16 points of those 12 uh, turnovers. We're them by 18 at, at the half, so that is, that's the game. So he mentioned that those turnovers there, and that seems to be a big problem with most of the, these Knicks losses, especially I know Randall's gotten a bulk of the criticism. He had seven and he had last seven night. That's last a lot. Night. That is a lot, especially that's that's your guy. That's, and, and that's yeah, your all-NBA player. And the thing with the turnovers is that's just the result of just the chemistry not being there. When you watch a team like the Suns, even the Bulls, everyone knows where they are. They know the like where they need to be on the court to you know make the offense spread out or on the floor, get open looks. And you know the Knicks it sometimes look like it's a lot of drive and kick, congestion in the paint, and they just don't get great shots. And that's why when Fournier shoots well, he doesn't create his own shot. He gets open, you find him open, and he'll hit the shot. So when he's shooting well, that means the offense is working well. And that's why when games, when he shoots under 18 points, they lose. And when he has over that number, they win. I, 
I think that's really telling that when the offense is like working well and they're finding open shots for people, they're creating shots, then they win. And when it's not, they're turning over the ball a lot, and then they're going to lose games. No, I agree. And I, I want to bring up one player we haven't talked about a lot, especially when we are talking about that starting five, and that's Mitchell Robinson. And I think yesterday, uh, it's weird. You can almost he, – he played really well at some points. He had a five block shots, and then other times he just let Vucevic get these open threes. And I think he really is turning into this X factor for this team where nights when he's on and he's locked in, it's, it seems like, oh, we're going to get this, like, this new – uh, this new version of Mitchell Robinson that's going to be a really game, a big game changer. Then other nights he's just kind of a no show, especially offensively. So I, I mean, to me, it, you just you have to keep him in there because if you bring in someone like Nerlens Noel, like your your offense is going to struggle. And then Taj Gibson in this game, he gets out, yeah, out was, within what the first was two crazy. minutes. That was crazy. Teed up. I don't, Taj I don't, Gibson, yeah. he's like the nicest guy in this team. I don't want to interrupt you. I'll bring it back to Mitchell Robinson, but that that was crazy because he was jawing at the ref, and there was back to back texts like within seconds. Right. Like they didn't give him any time to cool off. Like <laughs> I think it was really unreasonable by the ref. Like you just teed him up. What do you think he's gonna do? Suddenly back off? That was crazy. But you know, bring it back to Mitchell Robinson. When you lose Taj Gibson, Noel's already out of the game you're very low on size in the middle. So you have to play Mitchell a lot more than maybe you would have. And, you know, hes I don't think he's really ready for that role where he's playing that many minutes. And, you know, I think that showed he had 30 minutes last night. He's been averaging 25 per game throughout the season. He's very good in the offensive end, but you lose defense with him because he doesn't switch well. Mm-hmm. And he can't guard uh, guards as well as, you know, Nerlens Noel can or Gibson can. So, you know, that's really the problem with him. He's really good offensively, you know, better than Noel and Gibson, but you lose that on the defensive end. So that was another problem last night. You lose Gibson and Noel, and you're just – you don't have the size to make up for that. Right. And Tibbs went small towards the end. He, he had small ball lineups. In yeah, there, I think which... he had four guards and Randall yeah. at yes. the very end. Yeah. Yes, he did. And I'm wondering if that's something we're going to see more from him down the line. Well, I, I think that, you know, as good as, like, those big men are – None of them are the difference makers that the guards are. You think about Rose, Quickly, even Burks, Barrett. Those are the best players on the team. So if you're going to play your best players at the end of the game, it might be a small lineup. And Randall's going to have to step up and guard that five, which he really had to do at the end of the game last night. Uh, definitely. And I do want to bring up the game before last night's game, and that was obviously a huge one. Knicks versus Nets in Brooklyn. This this is a technically a rivalry game, and finally it's like kind of relevant. Both these teams are pretty talented. Uh, we get to see a rematch at the Garden February 16th, but this one, 112-110. Knicks lose. They were leading by one at halftime, but what a game. I mean, both teams going on these long runs. The Nets went on a 14-0 run to start the third. Um, R.J. Barrett didn't play that second half in that game. He was sick. Um and then you, you had the Knicks finish the third quarter with a 14-2 push. So lots of back and forth, an exciting game overall. But I think we talked about this right when we opened the show about just going behind early and going behind when they have that first unit out there. And that's pretty much what happened here. And we even saw that with their game against Chicago a week ago. They they had that they got out 20-8 to eight start in the first quarter. They couldn't come back. So, I, again, in this game against the Nets, which to me, I think I, think I can say this – uh, non-biased, in, in, that the Nets are probably a more talented team overall, and the fact that they're able to yeah, get that, that game within two. Tuesday night. Is this, I hate using this term, but is is this a moral victory at all? For, for the Knicks? For the Knicks. I, no? I don't think so. I hate using that term. Because it's in the, uh, no, it is a way, but it's still kind of a Nick game. Uh, you got to beat the the hometown rival, I think. As much of a moral victory it is, 
you know, I, I understand the fouls because, you know. Oh, we have to talk about that. We too. will talk about yeah. that. But, you know, you can make a lot of cases for this you know game could easily went in the Knicks favor. But I, I still don't think it's a moral victory because, you know, you're 11 and 11 now. That game took you to 11 and 10 before you lose to Chicago. You know, this is a Knicks team that was in the playoffs last year. And if you're a playoff team, you have to be able to beat other playoff teams. Right. And, you know, I know Randall struggled, you know. The referee is not giving him some calls. You know, R.J. Barrett leaving after the first half. You know, some things didn't go the Knicks' way, but I think you still got to pull out the win. Uh, at the end of the day, they had no answer for Harden. He had 28 at the uh, end of the first half. Mm-hmm. He didn't play great for the second half, but Kevin Durant then came alive. And, you know, defense is what the Knicks pride themselves on, so they have to find ways to be able to stop Brooklyn. And I know we're not at the point where we're calling the Knicks, you know, a team that's going to make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, which is probably where the Nets are, but – I still want to see them win that game. Especially because they kept it so close. You yeah, know, and like, I think it was their moment in the third quarter. They were down by like 12, I mm-hmm. want to, and then they rally back. Yep. And once you make that run, you're like, we're in this game. Let's win it. You know? And that's that's really been such a problem for them all year is that finishing. And I think you, I think the Nets versus Knicks in that game, you saw an example of a team that has guys who can step up in the fourth quarter. And even, even with Chicago, you have – you have players at the end who are going to score, who are going to make points and make big defensive plays when it matters. And I think that's kind of what the Knicks are missing is just just being able to finish out that game. Like, yes, you have Julius Randle, but then you see in that game against Chicago, he misses those key free throws at the end. And, and we're just not hitting those shots when it matters. So I think we can learn something from the Nets in that situation. But one thing I do want to talk about in that game, and it, it's so cliche to, to blame officiating and, and to blame the refs, but... To be fair, the NBA did come out after that game and said that there were two missed calls. Um, James Harden had contact with Randall's arms with less than two minutes remaining, and that should have been a foul. And that's the play that Randall ended up getting teed up for, yep. for, for complaining on. And then with 2.2 seconds left, they called a foul on Mitchell Robinson on James Johnson, and they're saying that 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 call was fine, but that LaMarcus Aldridge should have been called for three-second violation. So those are two key plays that – Honestly, could have the result of that game could have been much different with either one of those plays. And and when you think it gets better, I don't think the officiating was great last night either. No, we already talked no. about the Taj Gibson injection, but there were some calls that were very questionable. That's just an unlucky thing. I think you know sometimes the calls are going to go the Knicks way. Obviously, Tuesday night they went you know the Nets way. Very frustrating for the Knicks because <laughs> I think they really had a chance to win that one. And even Fournier gets a great look, so you only imagine you know I know it's like a half court kind of shot, but given the circumstances, you're taking that chance with him. And listen, if those two calls go the Knicks' way, it's a completely different game at the end of that one. So that's very frustrating. But, you know, like you mentioned, you know, the finishing for the Knicks, it, that's really the thing. Are they going to be able to close in the fourth quarter? Like, are you trusting Randall right now to take the last shot? Maybe, but, you know, after that, it gets you get Fournier, you get Barrett, maybe D. Rose. Like, it's not, it's not Harden and Durant. Right. Like, it's a different level, and that's what's holding the Knicks back. Like, as much as you want to talk about the chemistry, they're still getting to the fourth quarter and they're making these games close. But, you know, are they going to be able to finish it when it matters? That's moving forward. If they figure out the chemistry, they still need to figure out that problem. Like, they, they can't suddenly have a guy who's going to just miraculously be Kevin Durant and James Harden. I think that in the, at the end of the day, that's what's holding them back from being, you know, top-of-the-line Eastern Conference team. Right. I mean, as good as Julius Randle is, like, he's he's arguably not even a top 25 player in the league. I think last season, maybe. Maybe he – yes. No, he – last season maybe he even, balled yeah. out. He balled out. Let's 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 give credit where it's due. But at the same time, you're it's not – Katie, it's not James Harden. And, and think about it, the Nets, like, their biggest woe is that Kyrie Irving can't play. And, like, in yeah, who and do the Knicks like, have? Exactly. First in the East, yes. Yeah, exactly. So. so 
no, I think they're, it, it's hard. It's tough. It's like, do you think it's worth going out and finding some guy around free agency? Like, is that going to move the needle or do you just work with the guys you have and, and hope Tibbs is able to come up with the plans that, or, or maybe you just have a player step up and, and be that closing guy for them. And I just, at this point, I'm not sure who that is, but I mentioned Kyrie Irving and we, we obviously we both uh, cover the Knicks a lot, but uh, it's looking like Kyrie Irving for the Nets. Um, he's not going to get vaccinated and there's yeah. a new variant for this COVID thing. Um, and it's unlikely the New York mandates are going to change. I, there's been reports this week saying that the the Nets are still open or are more open to, uh, open to hearing teams offers for trades. But I don't know about you, but if I'm an NBA team, I'm not. I don't want Kyrie Irving. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you have <laughs> to think about the possibility that. that, you know, he could put your other players, you know, at risk for sitting out games because, you know, you know, they might test positive. I think that's a big question. And just because of what he brings, like just the like what the buzz that would be around bringing Kyrie Irving in and what that might do to the locker room, I think that could be disruptive to a team that's trying to make a race. And ultimately, that'd be the team that's going to go for him. It's just a really tough trade market for Kyrie Irving right mm-hmm. now. And you think about him, you think about Ben Simmons. There's a lot of people that, you know, are looking to get traded, but it's like our team's honestly going to, you know, want them on their team. I, I think it's a really tough situation. I, it's like, it's coming to the question, are we going to see Kyrie Irving on a court and on NBA court this year? And I think the answer, if you no. had to, you know, say, you know, what's it going to be? I would say no. I'm, I'm saying no. And that honestly makes me worried for him next year. I mean, right now he's making 34.9 million this season. He has a player option for next year and he's supposed to exercise it. Um, meaning that he'll probably be a free agent this summer and not a great resume to show other teams right now because you're not only you're getting a great ball handler you're getting a great scorer but you're getting a headache like you're getting someone who you know is going to come with all this extra baggage but um, that's enough Kyrie talk for the day for the week for the month hopefully for the year let's move on to the Suns and Warriors game I know these games are earlier in the week but they're too big not to talk about on this show so the Suns came into this game 16 wins in a row. The Warriors were 18-2 and two coming into it. Two best teams in the West. Two best teams probably in the NBA. It was honestly like a playoff game uh, on a Tuesday oh, yes. night in November, which you can't ask for anything more uh, as an NBA fan. Now the Suns Now the Suns have won, won 18 in a row. They won their 17th that night. They dominated the second half. It was truly a statement win, and I think the biggest key – was they shut down Steph Curry. Yeah, I mean, that's what's going to be the answer for any team that's playing the Warriors because, you know, make other guys beat you. And I think that's what the Suns did is that, you know, it's okay if other guys hit their shots, but it's a different type of scoring when it's Steph Curry putting the ball in the basket because he's going to get hot, he's going to hit threes from beyond the arc and at will. And if you have to, if you shut him down, if you have to double him to do that and get other guys open looks, I'm willing to, you know, take that sacrifice. And I think, you know, that's what the Suns did. And, you know, this win really proved it to me that this Sun. I was worried about the Suns team heading into the season, you know, because I kind of like Chris Paul. I kind of like the group of guys they had, and I didn't think they'd be able to get back there to the finals. But, you know, after watching this game and after seeing the Suns, you know, at the Knicks when they played, you know, at Madison Square Garden, they really dominated, you know, the Knicks that night. This is a really good Phoenix Suns team. I think they might be the best in the NBA. 18 straight, it's hard to really argue against that, but... They're playing just very, very good basketball. And, you know, they get the Warriors again tonight, I think. So a chance for redemption for Golden State. But it's just hard to think any team's going to, you know, knock them off this path. And even if they lose a game here and there, 
they're going to be first in the West, I think, by the end of the season. Listen, I also I wasn't out on the Suns. I, I was still confident in them, but like you, watching this game was I mean that was big for me. I, I'm so the fact if anything. It makes me more out on the Warriors because I think they expose the Warriors, and I think I just think when when Clay comes back, does that not? So that that's gonna be that was my next question because clearly we see we see this team that yeah if you if you if you watch this game I mean there were times when all five Phoenix defenders had their eyes on Steph Curry like they didn't even care about Jordan Poole they didn't care about Andrew Wiggins like it was all on Steph yeah. Curry and I think. So that's my next question. This week we hear that James Wiseman, Damian Lee, and Clay Thompson are all being brought up from the G League team, which makes me think that in the next month or two we're going to see Clay Thompson in a Warriors uniform in an NBA game. However, what version of Clay Thompson are we going to get? I I mean, he's he's a great player, it, yeah. but he's coming off two of the worst injuries a basketball player can go through. If it was just like the one then we're diving different right. back to back right. injuries in that story. severity. I this is the thing with Clay Thompson. He can just stand and shoot. I think if you can structure the offense around mm-hmm. him, it's the defensive side. Is he gonna be able to play the same yeah. defense? And he was a very good defensive player. You know, you think about those Cavs Warriors finals, you know, he did a very good job defensively in key moments. And you know, a lot of times they like, you know, the Cavs tried to get on Stefan over Clay when they were um, had Kyrie Irving had the ball. You know, Clay Thompson was one of the better defenders on that team. Can he get back to that level of you know um, defensive caliber player he was? I don't think so. But on the scoring side of things, you know, he's only only increased you know their offensive output. And I know it might knock into Jordan Poole's production. He's been very great for them in the season. But I think they'll adjust. It's gonna be. I, it's hard to make a, you know, say what kind of player he will be. I want to say he's going to be a very good NBA player. Will he be the same player he was, you know, both ends of the court? I don't think so, but it's going to be interesting. You throw him into that team that's already 18-3, and three, you know, what's going to happen? I'd like to think they're top, you know, they're top of the West. It's just, you know, are they going to be better than the Suns, the Nuggets? I, I think they're right there, really, and they're 18-3. and three. It's hard to, you know, argue against them, and they get Clay back, but, you know, you add a player coming off two injuries— that changes something up that's working really well right now. Right. And, you know, to be fair, in in this game with the Suns, we saw Steph Curry have one of the worst shooting performances of his career, not even just of the season. Yeah, four and for 21, I think. Four I mean, for 21, yeah. And it was the first time, I think, I think in his career maybe, that he took over 20 attempts and made less than, like, five. It was some ridiculous stat like that. So the the odds of him having another game like that against any team, let alone Phoenix again, are pretty low. And in, in, in you mentioned, like, bringing back another score, bringing back another threat that's really going to mix things up. It's so, just harder to guard the team it at, is, at this point. It is. Yeah. To, but you did mention the fact that a lot of um, Clay Thompson scoring, he isn't creating for himself. Someone else is creating for him. And I'm wondering if that is still something the Warriors are going to be missing moving forward, is that other ball handler. And it makes me think of the offseason. Oh, this, is, this is like we're going far off off the it's, deep end it's with fun this to one but but uh, Bradley Beal was someone they were in high talks with in the off season and I, I can't help watching a game like this and thinking wow if they had another person who could create off the dribble I I mean they could be unstoppable I'll give you another name give me another name he's in Philadelphia right now and it's Ben Simmons wow and I know he doesn't fit the mold of three-point shooting that the Warriors have but if you build a team around him Steph Curry can play off the ball and Ben Simmons is great with the ball 
that's an interesting that is and he wants out and i don't know what the warriors are offer i think maybe you know they can get wiseman out of there i don't think he's yeah. a great fit and you play small ball with ben simmons as a four or five and this is a defensive team and he's great defensively yeah he doesn't need to shoot when you already have curry clay thompson and jordan Poole there that's interesting to me wow i didn't even i kind of I've kind of like erased Ben Simmons from my basketball mind because I'm just like, what he's a yeah, he's, yeah. But that is a very intriguing take, and I, I mean, I, I think it's worth considering, especially when we see, you know, the first few weeks of Clay Thompson being back, and we get a better feel of what he's going to be like moving forward, because this is a team that is, is one of the best in the league, but they are not perfect. They are not perfect in any way, and I think the Suns really, really showed us that. But uh, last topic of the day, and, and this is a, this is a nice segue from talking about the Suns and the Warriors. This has been a pretty top-heavy league uh, season so far. We have, I think, before last night, there was 13 teams who were at or below 500. So uh, I want to talk power rankings, and not necessarily what the NBA or CBS Sports or NBC Sports gives, but I want to talk about just teams that you have seen this year that have impressed you, that you think deserve to be in the top five quote-unquote power rankings. So let's start. Just give me a team. Give me a team that you've been impressed with so far this season. I, I, it's safe to say Suns Warriors, so I won't. Yeah, we just talked about we them. Just, I'm going to talk about the about team them. the next played last night. I think I, they're fresh in my mind because I just you know was at the game. But the Bulls look really good. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone on that team knows their role. Like DeRozan, Levine, those are your scores. You know, Vucevic, he can score the ball too. He had 27 last night. And then they've got great pieces off the bench. Caruso, he looks amazing. It's crazy to think the Lakers didn't I bring him back. I love watching him play. He great defensively. He can jump out of the building. He had a crazy dunk <laughs> last night. And you know, Lonzo's a great facilitator, and he's gotten a lot better shooting, free throw percentage, three point percentage, best of his career. That's a team I really like, and you know, they don't have the like DeRozan's great. Like he's, he's playing at an MVP level right now. He it shocked me last night, and he's not on par maybe with the Durants or the Devin Bookers, but. I think he doesn't get enough credit. He's right there. He's so, clutch. He leads the NBA in fourth quarter points. I look at this Eastern Conference. I, I like the Bucks. They're right there. I think the Hawks are going to get better throughout the season. Mm-hmm. The Wizards are. I don't know why they're fourteen and eight at third. So, I don't. Th- I'm not buying them. Maybe you are. I am, but I'll let you finish. All right. And then, and then the Nets. So I think they're a top four team in the East. I really do. So that's my case for the Bulls. That that's a team that's really surprised me, and they're in my top five, maybe in the NBA right now, and at least top four in the East. So, I I agree. It's been really fun to watch the Bulls this year. I th- I love DeMar DeRozan. I think he's playing, well, he is playing the best ball of his career so far. Alex Caruso's a freak. It's just, I, Derek Jones Jr. is another player who I don't think gets a lot of credit. He's been really strong defensively for them. But you mentioned the Wizards, and I wrote them down because I wanted to talk about them. Now, I know they, they're not, I don't think they're top three team, maybe not even top four, but they have impressed me so much this year and I mean they're consistent they're good defensively and Bradley Beal is playing like he's not playing well and so to me they're only going to get better because I think we haven't seen the best version of Bradley Beal yet this season and they're still top five in the east and I think we're seeing Tommy Shepard's moves as their GM start to pay off I mean you see they get they get use Westbrook for Wall to get to the playoffs and they send Westbrook to LA they bring in Kyle Kuzma, Montrez Harrell, KCB, three rotational players who are actually like doing their job, and that's exactly what the Wizards needed. And those are three guys who I think they're all they all have this extra motivation. And I love like a good underdog mentality because all three of them are coming out of situations where either they were playing 
in the shadows of bigger superstars. Montrose Harrell's been six man of the year, how, like or at least a candidate like, for six it, man yeah, so yeah. many times. So now they're having a chance to really step up and prove like prove their skill and prove that they're worth and value in this league. Spencer Didwitty's another one from the Nets. He's filled in nicely alongside Bradley Beal there. So it's been really fun watching this team, a team that I don't think I most I don't think anyone, maybe Wizards fans, um, saw doing this well this year. So that's definitely a team that I wanted to give a shout out to. Um, from the West, another team, only twelve and ten, but we have to mention them on this episode because it's they just broke the NBA record win margin oh my God. with a seventy three point win over the Oklahoma City Thunder, and that is the Memphis Grizzlies. Grizzlies they won yesterday a hundred and fifty two to seventy nine. So I have to give them a shout out, and I also give them a shout out because Jaron Jackson Jr has been their best player without a doubt the entire year. He had 27 points in their game yesterday, and I picked him in the preseason award show for my most improved player this season, and look at him go. So I had to give him a shout-out, if anything, just to selfishly, like, self-promote. He's been great, and I think, you know, without, you know, John Morant there. Exactly. You know, that's he's going to be perfect to step up, and I think he can grow a lot from this experience. Memphis really uh, interests me just because of how young they've been built. You know, Jaron mm-hmm. Jackson, John Morant, those are two big pieces. I think they could be really great in the long run. As for the Wizards, I like what they're doing. I'm just a little worried about the scoring. Like, where mm-hmm. are you getting points from after Bradley Bill? I mean, Montrose Hill is the second-best scorer on their team right now. He's averaging 16 a game. Dinwiddie's very good. I love where he, uh, what he did for the Nets when he was in Brooklyn. And then you have Kuzma, Caldwell-Pope. I, they have some veteran experience, you know. You know, KCP, Kuzma, they've won titles. Guys who have been there before, I like that. I just, I don't know what their ceiling is. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm like holding the brakes on calling them a legit team in the East. I don't, they're not winning a championship. They're not even um, getting to the championship. Yeah, I don't think that. I I'm just, just like, like are they, can they win a playoff game? I know we're really early at 20 games they in. They can win a playoff game, a series? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, don't that's know. when you, that's when it gets, uh, that's when it gets interesting. So I think it's, it's fun at this NBA because there are a lot of bad teams, but. There are a lot of teams that are really surprising. So you like another team, the Cavaliers. Yes, yes. Mobley's been amazing. Oh, my God. He's, I mean, he's been great this season. And, you know, Darius Garland's taking a huge step. He's averaging 18 points per game since Colin Sexton's, you know, um, been outruled out for the season. He's really stepped up into that point guard role. I really like this Cavaliers team. You have some veteran Ricky experience Rubio with Rubio is playing like he's 25. Ricky Rub- I mean, look like, at that, <laughs> the, gar- the game at the Garden you were at. Yeah, I mean, the one good game I got to watch. <laughs> you saw the Ricky Rubio game yeah. at MSG. I like this Cavs team. Evan I really Mobley do. had his career high at that one, too. I mean, I mean, they're good. This is a really good, and they're going to fly under the radar, kind of like the Wizards, because they're not in big markets. But mm-hmm. the East has teams like that, and that's what makes it tough for the Knicks. You know, I don't want to bring it back to them, but, you know, we are in New York, and when you think about the Knicks, they've got to beat teams in the East that, like, fly under the radar, but they can beat you on any given night, like the Cavaliers, like the Wizards. And I think that's what makes it especially tough this year. It's a very deep Eastern Conference. There are a lot of teams to talk about. Very deep. And I think one team that we could see drop off in the next few weeks is Miami Heat. Now, they're 13-8. and eight. They've been solid all year. But Bam Adebayo, they just announced he's going to miss the next four to six weeks with a thumb surgery. And he's been one of their best players on both sides of the ball. So that's a team um, I could see slip. And maybe the Knicks have a chance to jump ahead of in the standings. But... Like you said, a, a lot of great teams, and it's it's been nice to see some of these smaller market teams have so much success. Obviously, the Bucks being a prime example of that last year, so they've really 
open the door for other teams to do the same moving forward. So it's it's been fun to watch. Oh yeah, it's been it's been great basketball. You mentioned the Heat. I I like the team. I think they could be good in the playoffs. But you know, losing Bam is is huge for that huge. team. So that's going to set them back for sure. But. It's really has been fun to watch. I feel like, you know, every week you're you're trying to figure out, you know, what team's gonna move up and down because it's such a different league this year. I mean the LeBron James team's sixth in the West. I don't think we've been expecting that. I know he hasn't been playing, you know, every game this season, but even the Clippers, they're seventh. Blazers a team that we usually see they're ninth, the Nuggets tenth. There are a lot of teams that we're used to seeing at the top of conferences at the bottom. Even the Bucks have right. been great this season. So the NBA is kind of changing, and I think we're going to get to the point eventually maybe where you need more of five players on the court than one or two stars, and I think the Suns are showing that. You know, I think teams like the Bulls are showing that, and I like the trajectory the NBA is going that direction. And then we'll get a better, you know, we'll get a we'll be a better gauge on it at the end of the season when we really see who's at the top of each conference. But it's a great NBA, and it's really fun to look at. And what there literally is no more, no more of a wholesome way to end the show. Uh, than just talking about how good basketball is. So I think great we're gonna, sport, great sport. It's a great sport. I think we're going to wrap it up there. Uh, Mike, this has been so much fun hosting the show with you. The, it, it's nice to just have the back and forth. Um, but next, when's your next When's your next, next game? Do you know? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. I, I, nuggets. Nuggets. So that's going to be another interesting. Very, that's a day game, 1 o'clock. 1 o'clock game. So. 1 o'clock game. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. But I don't, I don't know when my next one is, but it, it's been fun covering them and obviously doing the show every week make sure you guys listen for next week's episode i'm kelly bright alongside mike calamari pick and pod is production of wfb sports